0: Thank you for downloading this episode of the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. In this episode, we're talking to Katrina Quinn about her work uh, this year in the Edinburgh Fringe and beyond.
1: Yeah, and we're also chatting to her about the project that she's involved with called Peer Poets, which is a collaboration um, of poets locally to Brighton, um, where you can pop down and do a bit of an open mic. It's a really open, relaxed, friendly night. It was great fun when we went there. Yeah, we
0: were lucky to be there on the inaugural night and I personally sometimes find uh, poetry a bit scary. I don't consider myself to be a poet uh, but it's actually a very warm and welcoming atmosphere.
1: Yeah, even just to watch it, we just watched it um, rather than than get up and do a bit of poetry and it was just magical. I really enjoyed it and um, found it really inspirational. Yeah. Uh, There's a bit of noise in this recording
0: Yes there is we have uh, an extra team member of the cast rn team uh <laughs> his name is Scampy yes uh, which gives you a, a suggestion as to well, he's 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 like a human
1: he's like a human except more scampy
0: yeah, well, not like a fish.
1: Oh, yeah, like scampering.
0: Scampering, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's our brand new dog at Cast Iron Towers. Um, so, listen, if you're not going to rate us on the podcast, at least rate the dog.
1: Yeah, because he's chewing on something throughout and making a little noise.
0: But apart from that, it's a, it's a lovely chat with Katrina yeah. Quinn. Yeah. Enjoy. In today's podcast, we are speaking to Katrina Quinn, uh, and I was going to introduce you, but uh, I'm going to put the pressure on you. How? <laughs> what, what? If you have a business card, what does it say on it?
2: Oh man, that's <laughs> a difficult question even to start. I think my current one says writer and performer, but um, it is a question I'm often asking of like, yeah, how to define myself in a snappy way. I was. Even today I was thinking, you know, when people ask, what do you do? I was like, well, just today I got up my, an elderly neighbour. I helped her get up and bathed. And then I sent off a design for a roller banner for a charity to get printed. And then I did some admin for a friend's theatre company. And then I did some admin for like a dance event. And now I'm here. (laughs) It's,
0: It's multifunctional. Yes. I multi,
2: was multi, multi.
0: in the audience for an a Edinburgh Fringe show, um, Rob Kemp's Edinburgh Fringe show, and he asked me, uh, as I was in the front row of the audience, at the set up to one of these jokes, what was my ideal job, uh-huh. and I didn't know how to answer, because um, also, obviously, I didn't want to get in the way of whatever he was setting up, etc. Yeah. And I just went for a uh, writer-director, d- uh, which is what I do. I do write-director, but I, even then I had a note of caution of that and go, I- am I allowed to say yeah, that? Yeah. And I did have a moment of going, oh, apparently that's how I think of myself. Uh,
1: yeah,
2: I'm still it, working on it.
0: <laughs> and that's kind of what I was leading to, is a yeah. sense of that, if you say r- writer-performer, is there a note of caution of that? Do you feel that you're not allowed to say that? or? Um,
2: yeah, in fact, I, I'm still working on actually saying that as the first thing. If people ask me, you know, or oh, what do you do? I, I drop in all these other things before I get to that. Yeah. And I feel like that's maybe my aim for this year <laughs> is to is to say that first. But I think...
0: Say it without qualifications. Yeah. Because you have the qualifications. Yeah.
2: Yeah, because yeah, I'm like, oh, but I have I have written stuff and I have performed stuff. So... I can say that, but I guess it's yeah, all those questions that people want to know around money and yeah. proving it.
0: Well, um, oh, there's a there's a deep question. How does one prove it? You know, if well, you are, yeah. if you are, I mean, is is it through getting paid? If you can, if you can pay a light uh, electricity bill mm. with profits from your show, is that proof that you're a writer performer, or is it a bit more nebulous than that?
2: I think it is to other people who maybe haven't thought about it very much. Yeah. I wouldn't say that's how i view the defining factor no i think this is well it's been a relatively new journey for me in giving more time and space to writing and performing especially the performing side um but from the beginning i've not wanted to put pressure on it to make money for me and i've really tried to focus on the enjoyment side it would be lovely to get money for it so that I didn't have to do all these other jobs that I don't love so much but um, yeah that's not for me that's not what makes it valuable
0: I guess Uh, you were at the Edinburgh Fringe not for the first time this year but certainly for the first time as a performer this year Mm -hmm. with your show which was Uh,
2: Individual Medley
0: Um, for those of us who haven't um, seen that show yet or haven't had a chance to catch it yet um, how would you describe that show
2: Um, so it's a a Mixture, <laughs> I guess it's a bit like the question of asking what I do, yeah. it's lots of things, so I'd say it's spoken word meets physical theatre, uh, with some swimming lessons and some R&B mixed in, um, so it's a true story, it's my story of moving from Basingstoke to Zambia as a 12 year old, back in 1999 um and the kind of the challenges of moving to a new country of being an awkward teenager of kind of trying to find myself um and the thread throughout it is swimming because uh swimming's something I've done my whole life and when I was kind of writing bits for this I realized oh yeah I've just always I always swam and lots of the highlights throughout my life were around water being in water um, so that was a really nice hook to yeah. it
0: all on. So here, here's the obvious question. It's not obvious. Um, what, you, we want not ask you what the differences are between Bates and Stoke in Zambia.
2: Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> What's the same? What links them? Ooh. What's the shared <laughs> DNA?
2: Well, mm, I guess I was the same person in both places. Yeah. So there was that thing of, oh... I'm a bit awkward in Basingstoke and finding friendships uh, and changes that people are going through especially like flirting and physical changes I'm finding that difficult here oh it's still difficult here and there's still you know those complicated dynamics of uh, especially female friendships Um, my family was with me in both places and I guess as well you know when you're 12 like your parents your sister's play a big role in so we, your
0: life and impact. And I guess, it, I mean, literally, if we get pedantic about that, you were literally a child in England and yeah. were a teenager. Yeah. It's literally like that that's fine yeah, yeah, line yeah. of becoming a teenager yeah. in Zambia. Yeah. Um, which has the sense of metaphor about it. It's the sort of sense of you literally your your teenage years are a different country.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, although it wasn't a really long amount of time that I was there, it felt very uh intense and like it had a really big impact um because yeah going through that time when you're changing so much and there obviously were differences and it yes and obviously you can wonder oh, what would I be like if I'd stayed in Bathing Stoke and um who knows. But I think it, it was a good thing for me.
0: Now I'm guessing that your show your hour um was not performed in a body of water.
2: No it wasn't although I would I would love to do that somehow or maybe make the audience be in the water yeah. since I'm kind of teaching them how to swim I go through the different swimming strokes and breathing and diving and things like that so um, it'd be quite fun to be getting them to be doing that and feeling the water
0: but presumably that affects because so, you talk about it being a, a movement, a physical fitness yeah. that affects how you're going to present the show yeah um, because you don't have the water to yeah, yeah, yeah. so literally fall back on. So,
2: yeah, I did a lot of um, standing in front of the, of the mirror, kind of going through swimming. So I did a lot of swimming while I was writing it and really trying to pay attention to actually how do I think my body moves, but how does it actually move and what, how do I actually breathe and then trying to translate that into the living room um, and swim, yeah, butterfly on, on dry land. So, yeah trying to imagine trying to bring those things out of the water, I guess
0: so that you've always been swimming um, and yeah. and for some of us, swimming is uh literally a, a thing that we might do weekly to keep fit for some of us it might be uh, a fun thing to splash around and play with um, um plastic inflatables. who are you when you're swimming what 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 what's going on for you I think and
2: it, Especially then, it felt a bigger contrast was that in the water, I was, well, I was fast. Um, wasn't very fast on that. I couldn't run very fast. And I guess when you're at school and all the schools I went to, PE was a big deal and sports and competition. And I was like, oh, OK, this is one thing I can do. And also, it's not uncool. So I was also good at maths, but that wasn't like OK at school. That was, you know, you're kind of mocked for that. But being good at sport felt like safe thing so as yes, I was fast and so felt kind of powerful and also graceful so I did love like playing and jumping around and jumping in and swimming underwater so I think just physically I felt like a different person who wasn't tripping over things and twisting her ankle and shoelaces undone and that kind of idea. yeah <laughs> a lot more grace in the water
0: I think other people Associated with swimming that you admire, I mean, that might be an actual um, sports person, or I know that there are many films uh, and programmes that are sort of based in the sort of the the idea of swimming. Is there anybody that you, yeah, mine.
2: Because when my mind go, goes blank, I think I always just rather do it. Yeah. So and probably just. Appreciate the people that will come and enjoy it with me, rather than it being something that I'd like watch on television or um, read. I did actually in Edinburgh. I a lady came to see the show, and she lives in Orkney, and she's um, written a book about swimming in the sea and about the seals. and um, Hers is a much more academic kind of take on it, but also really poetic and beautiful, and how a kind of swimming in the wild got her through a, a challenging time so and she get, she get, came and brought me her book after see, she'd seen the show so I'm working my way through that at the moment so that's really lovely
0: and speaking about poetry you yourself are again wondering what the correct title for your business um, card is are, yeah. is performance poet uh, an accurate enough to Um
2: them? yeah I do use that too yeah <laughs> yeah 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 I think that's what I actually would have called myself for quite a, quite a long time performance poet and then when I started thinking about actually um, I want to do more than just a three minute piece behind a microphone yeah. and started thinking about the show kind of broaden that to writer and performer or spoken word artist because it feels like it's a bit broader but yeah performance poetry is where it all began really and what I've been doing for a long time
0: and it's what you're doing now a in Brighton uh, with uh, peer poets
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, so tell me about what that is
2: what peer poets, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that uh, is a monthly open mic night um, with the intention of creating a really inclusive, friendly, um, warm space and also a sense of community. So it's not just something you come to anon- anonymously and leave again. Um, but it came out of doing a poetry, kind of like a poetry career development. Horse thing. Earlier this year, a group of us met once a month for the six months um, with Dean Atter who's a, who's a poet who's often down, he's spent time down in Brighton and London. Really great guy, and brought together this very eclectic and diverse group of people of all ages and stages and styles of writing and places in their career, if you can call it that. Um, my career. I was trying to do inverted. Things. <laughs> <laughs> that just sounded really like I was making it nothing. No, people really do have yeah, <laughs> careers. Um, and then we had this showcase at the end and we'd actually spent a lot of time more talking about things like marketing ourselves or, you know, communicating what we're about. Um, and we hadn't actually heard or seen much of each other's work until the end. And it was just a really lovely night. A really, It felt really special and we wanted to carry on that sense of supporting each other and cheering each other on
0: inviting others into that. Indeed, I mean, you're right in terms of that night being quite special in terms of it being an opportunity to see people's actual work. But yeah. it also actually sounds quite lovely that that happened the way that it did because when we are performance poets or actors, and particularly if we're freelance or we're working for ourselves, we don't have enough conversations about mm. paying tax bills yeah. or getting the next gig or whatever. Mm. How... Do you find that, is that still sort of a bewildering mess or uh, are, you saying that you and your, the group of eclectic poets, that's what uh, a lot of the conversation was about, those sort of things must be really valuable.
2: Yeah, um, it definitely... it feels like things are becoming a bit clearer. And there was, I mean, it's something, it sounds really silly, but even the whole thing of <laughs> contacting poetry nights to tell them about yourself, like pitching yourself to a poetry night to say, hey, this is me, like, I'd like to come and perform, which sounds really obvious, but I'd never done that. No. And actually, they I think someone who runs a night had pointed out that they especially, they have lots of men doing it and hardly any women mm. Kind of putting themselves forward like that and then so it was just helpful things like that and also just setting goals and being like, right, but in this month at the end of this month I want to, you know some people it was have submitted a number of um poems to a journal, some it was I want to contact, you know, this this event. So actually since then I've been doing a bit more of that so I think some of it comes down to confidence yeah and some of it comes down to just knowing how things work and I felt that the same in the theatre world just through doing this show um over the last couple of years I had absolutely no idea how any of that worked and I still really feel like I'm very much learning as I go and creating the show was a chance to and first because I did it at Brighton Fringe first of all so every step of that was like, oh, okay, that's how people do it. Okay, so yeah, a complete learning curve and I'm definitely still on it.
0: <laughs> even if it's just um witnessing other people doing yeah. their shows in the same venue or yeah. having conversations with yeah. potential producers or indeed audience yeah. members who will, will often bring their opinion to it, yeah. even if you don't tend to agree with that opinion, mm-hmm. it, you can hear that voice.
2: Yeah, and then it helps you shape and think your your you know your own way of doing things yeah because there were definitely people like producers or other performers who were like oh well you have to do it this, this this order and I would never go to Edinburgh if I hadn't done this 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 or and it was helpful to hear that sometimes a bit confusing but then also good to come back to just more learning how to to trust my guts and think okay that's cool and that's helpful but I'm gonna try it this way and again that thing of in the same way of not putting pressure on it to make money at, at the moment, also not just not putting pressure on it at all, and just being like, well, this is an, a bit of an experiment,
0: allowing and
2: letting it all be a learning thing, and be like, well, next time I can do it differently. That's fine. It's whatever I do, like you say, and whoever speaks in into it um, is offering something that you can kind of hold and look at and maybe put aside. But like uh, like Rachel sure right I yes. think it's been this podcast. she was someone who um, when I first started when I'd signed up to Brighton Fringe someone else I think at a poetry night was like oh Rachel's done a one woman show, solo show you should talk to her and that's been the really lovely thing is all along the way meeting people through relationships um, and recommendations and meeting some really great people and learning from them
0: and all of that allows the, the, the piece, the hour, to be simply that, so it's not yeah. it. Because, although I think that thinking of a piece as a product and thinking who will come to see that, that mm. is very valuable, because yeah. that, that allows you to focus it and hone it. Mm-hmm. But if you take that pressure off for it making money or whatever, then you're allowed to tell the story that you want to tell.
2: Yeah, so and it, it, that felt really important as because it's the first show that I've done and I knew that I needed to tell this story and I i thought for a long time I'll probably write a book um, but then I kept coming back to the fact that I like saying things I like saying things out loud and I like moving so but it took a long time to be like oh I could I could do this I could. and quite
0: often I guess the story dictates the form that um,
2: yeah it's it, yeah a
0: thing works better as a play than it might do as a book yeah. or a comic strip or a film or whatever yeah
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to, yeah, to think, oh, if I hadn't done this. And because, you know, before, when I thought about the story, I wasn't thinking about swimming loads in it. That was just part of it, that I think it was through doing a writing week. Um, we were looking at different ways to tell stories and especially telling kind of memoir kind of style pieces. Um, and so it was kind of thanks to some of the tutors there as well in, in getting me to think about, you know, what are the threads that go through it um but yeah it it might not have been swimming it I don't know it could have been yeah what else could it have been Hmm. maybe cycling that was a big part of like more of my family's life Uh, but probably something physical actually I think it probably would always have to be something physical because uh they were that was what I think made me come alive Uh, but it could have been about maths actually You know, like that. <laughs> that was I had an amazing math teacher, you know, like when I was in Zambia, who and and that would have you know summed up the environment and the atmosphere of the school in in another way because sure. it was academically challenging and high achieving and very competitive. And there was that, like
0: that. Well, admittedly, as uh, you say, mathematics would have been more difficult to sort of uh, portray on stage unless you're, unless you're doing the stage version <laughs> A Beautiful Mind.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's true on stage. Yeah, that would have been... <laughs> yeah that's a challenge to
0: think about it the <laughs> do it does the show have more of a shelf life do you think you, you, you'll come back to it again
2: the, uh, that's something I'm asking myself a lot um I wasn't sure before I went to Edinburgh. I thought, oh by the time you know after this I might be so sick of it, I might never want to look at it again. I really didn't know how I'd feel about it and I might I thought, oh, I might feel, oh, I've done it, I've told it now, on to the next thing. Um, but I didn't feel like that at the end. I kind of felt, um, and especially, I guess, having that thing of new audiences in who didn't know me at all and seeing them connect with it made me think, oh, OK, actually, no, this this could happen in different places and spaces. So I am looking at taking it to a few more places next year. But um, also... With, Want to be making new stuff, but I like that I've, it's something I've got. It's on your portfolio now, yeah, as far exactly. from the Toolbox,
0: yeah. Uh, or, and are you able to talk yet about the new ideas that are forming?
2: Um, they're quite early stages, but I guess it's it, paying attention to what's you know in in my head a yeah. lot at the moment. And um, so I grew up in a christian home and with a strong faith and over the last few years i along with lots of people that i know i know kind of questioning lots of things wrestling with lots of things um changing in different ways and so i'm having lots of conversations and thoughts about that so i'm quite interested in just the whole yeah the whole thing of faith and doubt and but maybe bringing other people's stories into it too not just mine Um, And also, I think it'll have to be something around dancing. So, as the show... The show is based in swimming, but it's kind of... It it often references this fact that I really wanted... What I wanted to do was dance, and what everyone was doing in Zambia was dancing. And I just couldn't... um, Whereas, I feel like... But I did get there eventually, probably, when I was about 18, and then coming to Brighton and... uh, all through my 20s, I think, like, dancing was... And that's how people who met me when I'd left home, would they wouldn't have thought of me as a swimming person. They would have thought of me as a dancing yeah. person. By dancing, I mean, like, on the dance floor, yeah. in a club, rather than a ballet dancer. <laughs> well, one of
0: the things that, for, for no particular reason, I think, had occurred to me early on in the podcast, uh, reminded me of something that I, a friend at college, a university, said, because I'd never been a dancer. That's uh-huh. not... I... I I feel very tearfully uh, um, uncomfortable while I was trying to dance. I'm, I'm not that confident of dancing. And she was talking about dancing when you're at a club or whatever, um, when there was some sort of beat going on and she talked about the joy of a thousand people in the same room yeah. dancing to the same beat. Yeah. And that's the closest I've ever got to getting it. And I'm like, oh, mm. that's what you're there for. Mm. Yeah. Quite apart from any sort of pills that might be popped yeah. or whatever. there's that sense of, yeah it's a, a genuinely shared experience
2: yeah. yeah and for me it's that uh, sometimes I feel like I can communicate myself better by just dancing with someone than than talking to them um especially if it's people you don't know like um I might not be able to think of things on the spot or the right questions to ask but I feel like I can I know how to welcome someone into a space and and I'll often think about I think growing up you know you'd be dancing in your little circles with your handbags trying to keep the pervy men at bay (laughs) and kind of very like inward looking but actually what I loved in a lot of places in Brighton and with the people I knew we'd just be all off in our own spaces moving around the space and looking at people in the face and kind of acknowledging and you know seeing each other and um I don't, yeah, I think there's a way that it can be very, like, welcoming and freeing. And, yeah, that connection and community. Not always, yeah. but um, there's the potential of it there.
0: I guess that that, that what you've just uh, briefly referenced deserves a bit more unpicking in terms of... Because there will be a quotient of people who go to a nightclub for just that experience, mm-hmm. sort of, like, just lose themselves in the music and mm. share and enjoy and be welcoming. And there'll be a another part of the, um, that attendees who are looking to flirt or whatever, but there'll be that other third section who are, they have to be watched carefully. Um, and if you are losing yourself in the moment and you're wanting to be welcoming, there's still going to be, particularly as a woman at a nightclub, there's going to be a part that's always got on guard, going, oh, is that guy going to misread the stick? If I'm yeah. being welcoming, I'm not being welcoming in that way.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, that is a good point. I think, I think what I found a lot when I was going out compared to, so I was a teenager in, after Zambia, I was in Oxford. And I think I found in Brighton that there was mainly, I was saying this the other day to someone, it felt like it was just all women anyway, (laughs)
1: everywhere
2: I went. I was like, oh, it's just, it's mainly just women here, so it's fine. And yeah, obviously there is that sense of like, who, (laughs) who am I welcoming? And, you know, depending on who I'm with, um, yeah.
0: There was a um, a tweet uh, going on yesterday which went a bit viral, which was um, the question asked: um, "Women, what uh, would you do if um, there was a curfew for all men after nine pm?" Mm. And a lot of it was, ex- it was extraordinary. I'd go out. I literally, I'd physically walk out in the street
2: yeah. on my own, yeah.
0: and then come back again. I'd I'd sleep on a hot day with the window open on a, the ground floor. Um, I I'd, I'd go out clubbing, with my, yeah. and it was just that sort of sense of not being on guard. Yeah. Um and I guess there's a sense of that in something like club, certainly Brighton where there is just a that's not that's not so necessary potentially.
2: Yeah. I think as well it's ha- well, uh, how I would move is Yeah, I guess you you always really are aware, but then I'll just like jump around and do something really weird or silly to like just put anyone like make sure no one's got any funny yeah. any funny ideas that yeah. like I really am here just to like just to dance and so I'll just like jog on the spot for a bit if, or like do some star jumps if you're getting too close.
0: Just being sort of somewhat <laughs> bizarre. Being,
2: yeah, and just like silly and trying to keep it keep it light. Silly is good. Yeah.
0: yeah. We often speak to people on the podcast um a a few questions which go something like this. Um there might be sort of a podcast already that you're you're addicted to mm-hmm. or something that you're binging on Netflix or whatever mm-hmm. or a book that you're reading. You've, you've mentioned uh, books already and stuff, but is there anything at the moment that you are consuming that you'd want to give a shout-out to, do you think?
2: Ooh. Um, so I guess back to that question around what I'm thinking of writing about and the whole thing of faith and doubt, um, there's a podcast called The Liturgists and that looks a lot at those... Questions um, and a lot about creativity and but also science um, and connection and community, but it covers some quite well loads of different issues, whether it's like femininity and masculinity or um, racism or politics, all sorts of things um, but a lot of the hosts a lot of them have a kind of Christian background might not be there now, um, but it's just interesting how many people i know that are relating to the conversations happening there and find maybe that it's allowing conversations to happen that people don't feel that they can have i don't know in their homes or their communities so that's pretty great uh what am i watching <laughs> i've just i can only think of what, what i've just started watching this week on netflix it's called sisters and it's set in Australia, and one of, I have three sisters, and one of them's just moved to Australia. So, and it's to Melbourne, and that's where it's set. So, yeah. kind of makes me think of her, mm-hmm. and um, it's just a bit silly, but I really like finding something silly for the for the end of the day. Yeah,
0: and um, we often ask our guests also if there's a place you know when they've got their battle notepad about Mm. their next idea if there's anywhere that they hang out like a coffee shop or whatever in Brighton where they hang out
2: well I actually live in Shoreham by Sea um, and there's some lovely coffee shops there there's one Ginger and Dobbs um, which has like a grocer's next to it Um, but in the afternoon the sun comes through the the front window so that's quite lovely if I was in Brighton then I think Marwood's has always been a favourite yeah yeah, but yeah, sun through a window is always good for me Good, good excellent.
0: write in. Oh, and uh, often, again, we ask... This is a question that we should have prepped you for, but we didn't. So okay. it's interesting, it's interesting <laughs> to hear the answer. Um, it might have been that in your childhood, when you were a kid or when you are a bit older, that you came up with an idea for something, you invented something. Um, or maybe you sort of um, had the idea for a story sort of thing, but... Sadly and tragically, somebody else uh-huh. with much more access, much more money, mm-hmm. got to the idea before you did. And they essentially, without knowing it, stole your idea from you. Yeah. Um, has that ever happened to you?
2: <laughs> I can't. The thing that came to my mind was, I remember having this idea and being like, why is no one doing this? Um, so when I was a kid, it was there was loads of talk about, you know, as there is now, but it felt like there was a lot about, you know, the rainforests being destroyed and there was lots of blue peter appeals about recycling and things like that and pollution and i remember thinking like why don't people put um like a filter over car exhausts almost i in my head i was imagining a bit like a sieve kind of yes. thing like over the end to like get and i don't i don't think that's quite like how it works or it is quite that simple but i just thought guys this is obvious like come on you had and i did think concept. i would I would maybe be an inventor.
0: Uh. <laughs> what would be your inventor name?
2: Hmm. Do people change their names to be inventors? No, not,
0: not, not, not even remotely.
2: Uh,
0: <laughs> whenever, I think going to
2: still be Katrina.
0: <laughs> whenever people say inventor, I think of a book that I used to read as a child, which I thought was a very obscure book, but then became a Christmas special with... Um, I think Harry Hill, um, playing him for the last couple of Christmas, got a guy called Professor Brainstorm, uh-huh.
2: um,
0: which was a very sort of clever funny book and it's become as I say, a, but yeah, so I, I, I always think of professor names or, uh. or, or, or inventor names.
2: Mm, well, my name before I got married was Pike. So Professor Pike. That's quite good I actually. That was quite it's good. And that's, yeah, it's Yeah, like exactly. like a Marvel superhero. I do quite like alliteration. So yeah, I probably would have just gone with that. Professor Pike.
0: What, um, do you have a date coming up for the next? Um, speaking about alliterative pee yeah, um, do you have a date coming up for Peer Poets?
2: Yes, Peer Poets is on Friday, so I don't know if this will be out in time.
0: It may be, it it's, may... it's either g- 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 gonna be on tonight, uh-huh. I mean, you know, this Friday, on we watch it tonight, listening tonight, or you've just missed it and the next one will be yeah, on. Yeah, so
2: it's on the first Friday of the month, Peer Poets, so um, until December, and then I guess we'll, um, have a little drink and decide what what's happening next.
0: And physically where are you? Uh,
2: for Peer Poets mm. uh, at New Writing South, so it's on Dew Street, a tiny weeny road in the centre of Brighton um, Which
0: is actually quite easy to find really, once you're in the, the lanes, yeah. Uh, yeah, north lane
2: Put it in your phone. find yes. it <laughs> yeah. And there's a green, a funny green wooden door it looks a bit like a garage door, it's kind of just, just next to there, but there'll be people around yes. to welcome you in
0: worried looking, not worried looking poets no, you might be worried before but then you'll
2: come and then you'll feel totally at ease and relaxed and want to share your lovely words hopefully
0: you had said before or you I assume that you suggested that you'd taken a bit longer to get to the performance bit of your poetry that you'd written before and then it took a bit longer to perform, did I interpret that correctly? Um,
2: well, before I'd say to doing a a longer thing like a show, I think that actual writing and performing kind of came at the same time. I'd written, I didn't, I'd written bits and pieces, um, but then I saw people perform poetry when I came to university. That was the first time I knew it existed, and then I was like, "Oh, I could probably do that." But I then really started writing intentionally to perform, yeah. kind of from from then.
0: We spoke before the podcast about sort of um, your experiences of pre Edinburgh uh-huh. and uh, post Edinburgh, and about how that's shaped you or your reaction. Somebody who might be turning up to the next pair poets for the first time uh-huh. to perform, you know, it's it's a lovely room, it's a lovely yeah. crowd, and they're all very jovial and kind. Yeah. Uh, but that's not necessarily going to help somebody who's nervous and mm. terrified anyway. Um, and I guess I'm not necessarily asking for reassurance as to how they're going to be treated, because we, mm-hmm. we know that's going to be in yeah. London anyway. What could we say to a nervous poet who might be about to read their first poem?
2: Hmm. I think breathe and slow down. Uh, I think sometimes when you're nervous, and I still do this, if I'm a bit unsure, then I'm almost apologising for it before I've even begun or while I'm doing it and I'm rushing through it just to get it out of the way To because sorry I'm taking up space when actually if you can manage to just pause and be in it while you share it that changes it for everyone else too and it changes it for you um, so that at the very least you can enjoy sharing what you've made
0: Um, Yeah because as soon as you're up there as soon as you're the one that's standing and yeah. sitting, you, you've earned the right to be there. Yeah, And everyone...
2: And it'll be over before you know it, so you might as well just, you know, pause and and not say any apologies before you start. Um, I,
0: think. I think that's really wise, isn't it? I think we uh Cast Iron, we've been to a couple of um, spoken word nights and also at New Writing South, and certainly there was a... a at least a soft rule that apologies were not required, mm. indeed not not allowed, mm-hmm. uh, because the audience want to enjoy you. They're there, yeah. they're there, they're there for you. Yeah. And so... You
2: and it, you can feel more uncomfortable if someone's apologising or then highlighting things that you wouldn't have even thought of were an issue. Yeah. Like people, you know, some were apologising for reading on paper or for reading off their phones or for, you know, this or that. And it's like, well, just... If, you, if that's what you want to do, then yeah. do it and enjoy yeah, I think it comes back to enjoying it. You know, if you like what you've written, then
0: away. And, let, <laughs> and let's cl- close with with that segue. What do you enjoy about poetry? Either, either your own or just as a concept? Mm.
2: I think I love how it enables you to kind of say both a lot and a little at once and how it allows for different layers of things so that some people will hear it or something will stand out to one person. Someone else will hear it in a different way. So you kind of, I guess for me, I love the sh- I love the sharing of it and the speaking out of it, and then the connections that come about through that. So when it resonates with someone, or when it's put into words something that someone was trying to you know articulate, I feel like it's it can just be a gift to to yourself, both to have something down on on paper or and then, and really to other people, I wrote a poem for a wedding this weekend for, so specifically for that couple and just felt like a huge privilege to be able to sprinkle bits of their story into other bits about love and thinking about marriage. Um, but then also feel like I was speaking, that privilege of feeling like you're speaking kind of for other people and you're giving them as a, the words as a gift, um, yeah I think those are the moments when I'm like I love doing this Fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah.
0: Katrina Quinn Thank you for joining us
2: Thank you for having me
0: This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast
1: Presented by Andrew Allen
0: And edited by Michelle Donkin
1: Music is Chatstick by Everett Armand
0: Find us on Twitter, on Facebook And our website, castironbrighton.weebly.com
1: Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes.
0: Thanks for listening.